With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hmm? Ah! Hmm. It's what I told myself when I watched them beg for mercy. I'm not the one doing it. When the pitch of their screams rose higher, I'm not the one doing it. When their hair caught fire and the smell of the burning flesh filled the throne room, I'm not the one doing it. Daenerys is not her father. And she never will be. With the right counsel. You need to find a way to make her listen. Who's that for? Jon Snow. Did you read it? It's a sealed scroll for the king in the north. What's it say? Nothing good. I'm Dave. And this is House Podcastica. This week we are covering Season 7, Episode 5, Eastwatch, of our series Rewatch. And for those of you who were waiting for Anwen, uh, Anwen and I have 18 hours difference. So we switched uh, Episode 5 and Episode 6, and Anwen will be with us next weekend. And Dave very, very kindly agreed to take Eastwatch instead of Beyond the Wall. So thank you and welcome to Dave of House Hal. <laughs> My pleasure. It's always easy to schedule for us. Yes. Yes, that's true. It is always easy. Just to let everybody know, we will be recording Beyond the Wall a little early due to that big time difference. So we're going to be recording this weekend. So if you do want to get your feedback in for that, just be sure to get it in in the next couple of days and we will read it out. For those of you who may be new to the podcast or you're just coming in getting ready for the epic season eight premiere that is set to happen in just a few short weeks. So excited. Yeah, I'm really excited. <laughs> uh, we have been doing a rewatch podcast for 
almost the entire duration of the break between season seven and the upcoming season eight with the knowledge that we all have seen the entire series. Every every episode from season one, episode one, Winter is Coming, to season seven, episode seven, The Dragon and the Wolf. So with that, let's get right into the episode. What do you say? Can't wait. So I'm going to turn it over to you. And why don't you tell me your number five for Eastwatch? All right. Well, my number five is squarely on the man that I I like to think of as my second favorite smuggler of all time. (laughs) I love Davos. Davos is the best. Every scene he's in or every episode that he features a strong role, it just reminds me that he should be my favorite character. And he, and uh, this one, especially, he was the king of the one-liners when Tyrion mentioned, you know, the last time I was here, I killed my father and Davos fires back with the last time I was here in King's Landing, you killed my son. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. He had a really, he had a, got a lot of really good one-liners. You're right. And he's uh, self-deprecating about his fighting abilities, and he's just such a trusted advisor, and he's so smart and crafty. I mean, he he planned ahead. He he brought that disgusting crab for the gold cloaks because you know just in case they ran into him, he had a backstory already. Yeah, I know that was. You know what? It was really funny to see Gendry's face too because. I mean, they may have been through a lot together, but he didn't really know like how crafty Gendry mm-hmm. was. And so he was probably just like, oh, my hammer, what are we going to do? <laughs> Davos had it all figured out. He didn't need to worry. And Davos has so many great one-liners. Like I said, nothing fucks you harder than time. Oh, my gosh. That is the most true statement of all time. And what do I know? All I've done is live to a ripe old age. <laughs> That was awesome. <laughs> Anyways, so I just, I love Davos, and he is my second favorite smuggler of all time, fictional smuggler of all time. What did he say about, it's better to be a coward? For the rest of your, no, it's better to be a coward for a day or something like that than to be dead for the rest of your life. Something like that, right? Yeah, another, he had so many great lines. He always does, but I did notice when we were watching um, our notes watch that he really brought it. I didn't know that if at the beginning of the series, the Double Ds really knew what they had with Davos, with... With that actor, uh, Cunningford? Liam Cunningham. Liam Cunningham. I was close. Real close. <laughs> uh, anything else for your number five? No, I think that doesn't. Okay. My number five is actually, I'm going to go to the very beginning of the episode. I'm going to talk about Daenerys's show of power. So what I love about this is that I had a really good chuckle to myself because I, I kind of saw this as Daenerys as the new boss and new bosses when they want to show who's boss, they they quote unquote fire somebody. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and so I thought it was just really funny how um, she caught everybody in line the minute she decided to fire <laughs> <laughs> Randall and Dick on Tarly. You know, the the really tragic part of this is that Dickon, Dickon, man, he he did not understand. He did not understand the rules of war. You know, we learn in the previous week that the battle against the Tyrell army and the Tyrell house against Highgarden, that that was his first battle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think before that he had just been a hunter. Mostly. Yeah, just training as they all do. So for him to show loyalty to his father and not to understand the 
greater scope of carrying on his house, carrying on the the family name. It, it really showed just how little parenting he probably got from his father. I mean, his father was such a horrible man. Even though he favored Dickon, he still didn't teach him anything. You know, it's 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 that old thinking. I mean, Tywin kind of did the same thing. Tywin was all about power for himself. Elena, even, she was all about power for herself. Randall Tarley, even, he, he displays a lot of that. So what's interesting to me is it's all of this old way of thinking that is still trying to bubble up to the surface uh, before the new way of thinking comes out. Even Tyrion, he tries to plead with Daenerys to have Randall Tarly and Dickon Tarly take the black instead of making the choice that she's offered them. That really showed that Tyrion is still stuck in his old Westeros ways as well. So the wheel that Daenerys keeps talking about breaking, and she's asking everybody to come and be a part of what she wants to break, even her hand is still really almost resistant to that idea, or he doesn't fully understand the scope of what she's really talking about, because he's failing her in his old way of thinking, in trying to maybe even measure up to his father still. Um, it's You know, Dickon, he dies because he, he dies trying to measure up to his father and be like his father. I think that there's still a lot of people, I'd say, even the people that support her that really don't understand what she really is trying to do. Uh, She does display um, some cruelty here, but she does give them a choice. She does say, you could bend the knee or you can die. They had every choice, and honestly, they could have taken the black, but Randall Tarley chose not to. Dickon, whose name makes me laugh every time they say it. Every time. (laughs) Is it Rickon? Dickon. (laughs) Braun laughs. But Dickon is a brave, loyal fool of a boy that he would choose annihilation of his, of himself and his family and his house. And like, oh, I guess I'll just go with my dad because that's what he would want. Well, so that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you if you thought Dickon was brave or if you thought he was stupid. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Those are not two mutually exclusive terms. In this situation or ever. And House Tarly Turning to Dust was one, uh, my number four. So I'm glad you brought it up. Oh, cool. What else did you want to say about it? I'm just wondering why Randall Tarly didn't want to take the black. Is it just, I mean, is that beneath him? Yeah, because his son was there. And he sent his son there because his son wasn't a man. Oh, he's such a dick. I know. He's the worst. Another thing about this scene is it was beautifully shot when the, when you uh, when you see the Lancer forces being led up to that kind of rocky outcropping and you see drogon there draped on this hill with the sun kind of like setting behind him is a gorgeous shot yeah i do agree with that one last thing i wanted to say about this scene and just daenerys in general if you don't mind by all means i think daenerys because because i was talking earlier about everybody's disconnect with daenerys from their point of view with wanting to with being resistant to changing old ways in westeros and the older generation and and being resistant to the to, to the new younger generation, is that Daenerys is also coming in and she has really, she's not giving a lot of respect or thought to 
the her family history in Westeros and really how much of a problem that is. And Randall Tarley, although he does have a little bit of misinformation in the fact that he implies that Daenerys was not born in Westeros when she was born in Westeros. She was not raised in Westeros, but she was born in Westeros. At Dragonstone. Right. She isn't a foreign invader. She did bring a foreign army. But she does have three full-grown dragons at this point. She is a Targaryen. She's proved to be quite the formidable force. Tyrion's right. She did have an opportunity here to prove that she wasn't her father. But if she shows too much mercy... Then they'll think that she's weak. Right. Which is why she had to fire somebody to prove her strength and her power. (laughs) Exactly. I really didn't mean that to be a pun. It it just (laughs) organically came that way. (laughs) (laughs) um okay anything else for your number four no that's it what's your number four so my number four is we're just going to stay with my favorite (laughs) storyline and that is john and drogon properly meet each other oh very nice was this one of your numbers that was my number one oh was it It oh i'm so sorry it's okay i want to ask you a question do you think that john snow scares at all anymore considering what he's seen and what he's done and who he's gone up against and what he's gone up against at this point he's probably like oh dragon okay i'll just check it off the bucket list you know i I met a dragon (laughs) i I touched it you know (laughs) do you think that he was nervous or do you think that he was excited like what was the feeling that you got from that scene with him oh i'd say for sure he was nervous but he wasn't scared or at least if he was, he wasn't showing it. He was committed. He was like, oh, I guess I'll take, I'll take this glove off. <laughs> well, I think that we all pretty much thought the same thing when he touched Drogon is that he is very, very, very clearly a Targaryen. Oh, yeah, 100%. And this leads even more credence to the other Targaryen theory. The secret Targaryen? Or not so secret. Or, you know, we all want it to not be a secret. Yes, the not so secret secret Targaryen and Tyrion Tyrion Targaryen. Tyrion Targaryen, I don't know, it doesn't work for me. That that his name. Well, I mean, I don't think that I'll ever call Jon Snow Aegon Targaryen. Aeg Snow. No. Okay. None of that. He's do you think of him do you, what will you do if they call him that in season eight? I'll probably look behind him like where's Aegon? He'll probably look behind himself. <laughs> Excuse me, that's my father's name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jon Snow. I'm a busted. That's another interesting thing is that he, and we're getting totally off topic here, but his whole life has been, I'm a busted, I'm a busted. His persona is of being a bastard. Like, that's who he is. When he finds out that he's not only highborn, but his parents were actually married, and, you know, he has a better claim to the Iron Throne that he doesn't want than you know, his lady love. I mean, what's he going to do? I have no doubt that he will step to the side and give it to her. Do, do you think it would be any other way? He's already stated and he's committed that he doesn't want to be the king of anything. No, he wants to just go be warm. Yes. <laughs> That's really all he wants is just to be warm. I don't think he even knows really what he wants. I mean, obviously he wants to defeat the army of the dead, blah, 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 blah. But when he was leaving... The Night's Watch, he didn't know where he was going to go. He was rudderless until Sansa brought him in. Well, yeah, I mean, he's never had any other purpose than being a Night's Watchman. And then he dies, he leaves, he, you know, then he reclaims Winterfell. I mean, kind of like he falls into whatever next situation that he's in. 
Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of that in this episode. And and we'll talk about that later. So I think more than John meeting Drogon, which is such an impactful scene, I think my major takeaway was I kept thinking back to, as you said, Tyrion meeting the other two dragons. Underneath the pyramid. Yeah. And not getting eaten. Exactly. And I don't know. I just, I understand what, what a huge scene this is for Daenerys and a, a huge moment this is for Daenerys and unknowingly what a momentous occasion this is for Jon Snow. It solidifies the audience member in everything that we do know about Jon. And it kind of, as you said, gives everybody a little extra extra argument in their back pocket oh, for, yeah. for mm-hmm. the third dragon head. At the end of this season, what I really love, at the end of this scene, what I really loved was as they're getting into what John or what Davos really meant about being stabbed. I want to know what the end of that conversation was going to be so <laughs> bad. It, it was okay because we got to see a really nice reunion in Daenerys and Jorah. And we got to see John finally meet Jor Mormont's son. That's right. Next episode, they have a really neat scene together that, I don't know, it was it was a scene that I never knew I wanted. Yeah, it, it was a scene I never knew I wanted, but I did. And I actually thought it was in this one, the first time we watched this episode together. And then I realized, oh, it's in the next one. When they're cold and beyond the wall. They're cold and bonding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you've never, what what, did, what have you always said? Oh, that you've never been truly cold unless you've uh, spooned another man? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> That's a truth fact. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> um, I'm just going to apologize to everybody. I should have said this at the top of the episode. I'm still getting over a really, really bad cold. So I sound like a man and it hurts when I laugh. So if I'm really boring, I apologize. Um, yeah. So since it's your number one, what else did you want to talk about with this scene? I think we pretty much covered it all. Just I liked how... Uh, Daenerys lands Drogon and she like walks him, walks, runs him towards Jon. And you can see the look on her face like, oh, I'm going to show off or I'm going to intimidate him, you know, kind of. At the edge of a cliff. At the edge of a cliff, like, oh, this is going to go great. And then, you know, she's standing there and she sees that Jon is just petting her dragon. Like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) I just found it kind of funny. But like, what if that had gone horribly wrong? Then she would have had to send uh, an apology fruit basket to Winterfell. I got to tell you, if that had gone horribly (laughs) wrong, I don't know how the end of this story would have gone. Careful. Uh, George R.R. Martin might hear this and decide to write that into uh, the next book. Like, you know, I'm I'm just going to write John off on this cliff here. Sure. Just give me the fucking book. (laughs) Um, I think this was actually the scene where he was, where uh, Kit Harrington was harnessed to the edge of the cliff. Yes, and that's all I could think of. I know. <laughs> how, how all of production was like, we can't get rid of this guy. We got we to gotta make sure that he's tethered to the ground at all times on this cliff. Um, Cool. Okay, well, what's your number three? My number three is, you just mentioned it, the return of Jorah the Andal, the king of the friend zone. The king of the friend zone. The king of the friend zone. That's his title. <laughs> or maybe the knight of the friend zone. I don't know. No, I think King is correct. You know, like you have Sir Braun of the Blackwater, you have Sir Jorah of the Friend Zone. Yeah. Sir Braun of the Gimme a Castle. Sir Braun of the Who's Paying Me. I hate Braun. I admire Braun. Even after he tried to kill Drogon? The Drogon was trying to kill him first. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're this is this is an argument that we've had a few times before, so we'll just m- move on. <laughs> okay. Good thing you weren't on last week. <laughs> oh, I know. I heard it. I really enjoyed seeing Jorah and Daenerys meet up, and it really was a very sweet moment. And uh, it's funny how Jorah keeps running into all these guys who knew his father, you know, like, oh, I, I knew your father was a great man, you know, and all this. And Jorah's like, okay, good. It's weird. I ran to this guy who cured me, and I run into this guy with the cloak on, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, and John and Sam both speak so highly of him that when he does eventually get to Eastwatch and Tormund is like, you're a Mormont. Tormund's the counterpoint to their love for Gior Mormont. He's like, your father killed a lot of my people. And Tor's like, sounds to me like you killed a lot of my father's people, so fuck you. Yeah, kind of like Drogon and Bran. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. I'm going to kick you right off this podcast. I can do it. <laughs> One of my favorite parts about Jorah in his return this whole episode is how tough and brave he continually is when he is in the map room war room the map war room the war map room yep okay and everybody's talking about how are we going to get cersei to be involved in this how can we get an armistice going and um jorah is the one that says i'll go and get one he doesn't say i'll make a team or I'll scout it out or I'll figure out what I'm doing. He doesn't have any like open-ended questions like, hey, uh, I kind of want to do this. Uh, What do you think the best way to go would be? He's like, I'll do it. Yeah. I mean, he's just like, he's like, okay, yeah. Oh, that's the plan? Well, I guess that's what I'm doing. And that that's just Jorah this entire time. This whole series, Jorah would do anything for Daenerys. He is a man of conviction, truly. But he, but he's also, I mean, he had his skin shaved off just to get back to her. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. I, I mean, I know that we joke about he's, you know, the king of the friend zone, and I know that he's betrayed her, and he's gone on this really amazing journey. But everything he's done is for this one woman. And that's incredible, especially in a world like this, in a story like this. You don't see loyalty like that. I I don't think anybody has been that loyal to who they serve yet. Can you think of somebody who is equally so? Maybe Sam to John, but Jorah went through much more and... I got to tell you, if, if the Night's King had like a little ice knife up to uh, both John and Gilly... He'd say, later, John. Uh, I don't know. What? All he wants, all he wants is to make sure that Gilly lives. Okay, well, in this in- impossible hypothetical. You brought it up. I did not bring up. Well, you brought it up. Oh, please. This was your example. I asked you for an example, and you. this was your example. I'm just shooting it down. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got? I'm trying to think of other loyal people whom the Night King could threaten in our hypotheticals here. Okay, so the Night King has a knife up to Daenerys. Who's the first one on the chopping block? Jorah the Yandel. Okay, maybe Grey Worm. All of Daenerys' people are very loyal. Jorah is the most loyal. Well, he's been there the longest. He is old school. Well, he got kicked out like three times and still came back. (laughs) 
Yeah, if he ever dies, they're going to have to park a car on top of his grave to make sure he doesn't come back. Yeah, because he will. He'll probably come back as a white and still protect her. <laughs> turn, turn the other wife. <laughs> like, no, leave her alone. <laughs> steal, steal the ice dragon and just keep going. Yeah. Do you have anything else for Jorah? No. What is your number three? So my number three is the board meeting at the Citadel. The ridiculous, aggravating, frustrating board meeting at the Citadel. That's also my number three, the Citadel of Morons. Are you kidding me? No. Well, it was my two or three. I was going back and forth. So here's the biggest problem that I have with this meeting. And then I'll turn it over to you to talk about however you want to talk about. Archmaester Ebrose makes this big deal about the fact that, you know, okay, Sam, you could be right. You could, you know, everything that you're saying could is totally valid, could be valid, could be true. But this could be a ploy to the Dragon Queen. And somebody says, yeah, I mean, you know, we're up against a Dragon Queen. Why Why should we, you know, talk about, you know, cripple boys who see, you know, magic birds and, and such. And I'm thinking to myself, you're talking about somebody who has dragons. Dragons. Dragons that haven't been seen in centuries, dragons. And you think that... We can have dragons in this world, but we can't have something that is actually written about in the books from old maesters over thousands of years of something that is going to come back. We're seeing proof of it right now. And and people are saying and people are sending warnings about it. And you still can't get on board. I don't know whether it's some sort of scholarly bias. Like once you get so smart, you think, you know, all the answers, you know, like everyone thought. You know, uh, the sun revolved around the earth and, you know, oh, everyone knew the earth was flat, Mm -hmm. you know, and all these kind of things that everyone just knew until all of a sudden we didn't know it. And Mm -hmm. it's just, and it's insane. They have a first person account from someone whom Archmaester Ebrose even says, oh, he's a good lad. You know, it's like first person account. He says, Archmaester, please, I've seen them. It's real. You know, and you can hear and, you know, he and he knew who they were talking about. Brandon Stark. Oh, yeah, I, I knew him. He was north of the wall for years and survived. How do you think that happened? And they just completely just disregard, just, just brush it off. What's interesting is that Ebros does say, I assume that you're getting mm-hmm. getting something together, something more concrete together. He says, I'm waiting for a better suggestion, essentially, which Sam gives them. See, I took that as kind of... Ebrose silently telling Sam, I've given you a mission. I hope you're still doing it. Oh, yeah. Like all those old scrolls that he wanted him to transcribe. Because, I mean, what happens later when we see Sam is that Gilly is reading about the most mind-blowing piece of information in the series so far. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So clearly the plan is working. (laughs) Another question that I had that maybe you can help me with is... How do all of these maesters really not know about the three-eyed raven? How? How would they know? Aren't they all supposed to be these really scholarly, educated, learned men? I don't think the three-eyed raven is a commonly known thing. I mean, he's been up there for a long time, so who knows? I mean, I don't think the children of the forest were writing about him, so... But even the Stark children knew about the three-eyed raven from Old Nan's stories. I'm saying if it if if it's something that is is a story that you tell children, I mean even Cersei says that she knew about it. You know, 
knows about the the crazy stories that she was told when she was a girl to be scared of, you know, the children of the forest beyond the wall, blah, blah, blah. And I guess the Macers have, you know, it's that scholarly bias where they don't believe any of that because they haven't seen it. And so they're like, oh, it's just children's stories. And so when they say, you know, oh, some three-eyed bird. But they haven't seen a dragon. Exactly. They're just incapable of learning new things. Yeah, but they're more worried. But they're more worried about the dragon queen than they are about anything else. And they're very quick to believe that this woman has dragons over the scroll of a Stark. Because more people have seen the dragons at this point. They knew that Randall and Dickon had been burned to death. So they knew the dragons are real. Okay. It's not just there. It's not just one person's story. They probably heard multiple sources. Because remember in the show and especially in the books, there have been rumors from Essos about these dragons for years before she made her way across the narrow sea. Okay, but there's probably also been rumors about the fact that the dead men are on the march. I mean, John was sending scrolls for a while. Yeah, he was. And then, you know, you have Bran. Bran and Stark is Ned Stark's son. And Ned Stark is, is synonymous with the truth and honor. To his detriment, yeah. Right. So, I mean, I'm just saying you have a lot of, of credibility behind what this scroll is saying and it's so easy to dismiss it over anything else it just doesn't make any sense to me i don't know maybe maybe we'll find out more in season eight about the archmaester and maybe he had a secret plan for sam you know maybe we'll we'll see that he let sam into the restricted section at hogwarts and you know let him steal all those books fucking bureaucrats yeah well that's all i have though um for my board meeting you have anything else about (laughs) I love your title. Please at least say your title. I just saw your title. Oh, the uh, subtitle? Uh-huh. The subtitle is The Archmaesters Have Their Heads Up Their Asses. The Citadel Morons. The Archmaesters Heads Up Their Asses. I like it. Nice title. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, what's your number two? Well, so that was my number two. Oh, I meant okay. to say. Okay. Okay. So my number two is actually kind of continuing with the same subject, and that's uh, the bravery of Sam. I've noticed that, you know, bravery is is counted, and we've talked about this before on on the podcast, and and between you and I, you know, people people relate bravery to whether or not somebody can fight, whether they go into battle, um, you know, if 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 they rise to a, a dangerous occasion. And, you know, while Sam is not a fighter, he does do that very last point, rising to uh, a dangerous occasion over and over and over again. And the common theme with Sam in this is Gilly. Gilly makes Sam really, really brave. And everything that he does, he has done either because of her, for her, for little Sam, he left Hornhill, not not only because he had to, but he took Gilly with him because he knew that they would be stronger together. But Gilly made him brave enough to take Heartsbane. It wasn't until they're together at at the table. He has no idea what Rhaegar's annulment and secret ceremony means. None. He misses a huge plot point. He does well. He doesn't miss it because he doesn't know it. He doesn't know it until Bran says John was born 
to Liana and Rhaegar. Well, if Gilly had, you know, pronounced the name right through no fault of her own, she's, you know, a wildling. But if she said, oh, Prince Rhaegar, that may have stopped him. You know, Why? He, he would have thought about it. Why? Because when she mispronounced it, he probably wasn't thinking of Rhaegar because he was still all up in his head about the maesters with their heads up their collective asses. I understand that, but why would that information hold any weight to him? I don't know, because it would be interesting. But it doesn't... It, it, but it, it would be a prince that he had heard of, maybe? That's fine, but what I'm saying is, for us, we hear that information as the viewer with all of the information, and we understand right. what a huge bomb that is. But for Sam... It's just something that Gilly's saying. I mean, he files it away and he remembers that information later, which is great, but that's not what gets him going. And I think that that was misconstrued by a lot of people probably, is that we see Gilly drop this bomb and then Sam gets real mad and he decides that he's not going to read about better men for the rest of his life. He's going to do something with his life. He goes into that library. He takes all the books that he possibly can on the subject that he needs to learn about fast. And he takes his wildling wife and his wildling son, and he fucking GTFOs out of there. Now, I love that he did that, but... I think that we're under the assumption that he knows what we know when he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Exactly. So I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I just, it didn't really dawn on me until after I had initially watched this episode when it first aired that while we got huge information, Sam got a little piece of trivia that he, that didn't really matter when up against the long night and and what's coming for them. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I, I've gone off track a little bit. No, that's a fair point. Sam um, Sam has come a really long way, and I think without Gilly, he would probably be dead. <laughs> oh, he would not have made it. He wouldn't have made it back she to Castle Black. How, she knew how to start a fire and like hunt and skin, mm -hmm. you know, game and all that stuff. Well, he also wouldn't have been brave enough to kill that White Walker if the White Walker hadn't been threatening Gilly and the baby. Mm -hmm. He probably wouldn't have, he probably wouldn't have asked John to become a maester. He probably wouldn't have been so brave at the Battle of the Wall. I mean, he had Gilly st stashed away and he said, don't worry, I'm going to come back. I have to be with these people. Mm -hmm. He'd probably be like Jano Slint, with Jano Slint down there, just cowering. He was made a man by Gilly in so many ways over time that now when we see him gather up all this stuff, it's not even a big deal for him, for us to see him doing this big gesture again, because this is who he's become through being with this incredible woman who makes him brave. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's really lovely. Their, their relationship is arguably or not arguably one of the better ones on the show i mean they have a really good relationship and they strengthen each other yeah they're equals they're absolutely equals and they call each other on their shit and they argue mm -hmm. like a normal couple and mm -hmm, i agree and she's a lot smarter than anybody gives her care uh credit for but yeah she learned to read in like four episodes <laughs> Shireen taught her to read. That's how long she's been around. Yeah. Um, but she's got the street smarts and he's got the 
book smarts, and together they make a pretty formidable team. Yeah, they're the whole package. They are the whole package. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my number two was just the bravery of Samuel Tarley. I can't wait to see how he ends up in season eight. I think Sam's going to be one of like the main central points. I mean, he has to be. And this was actually my number one kind of um, was Sam and Gilly and leaving the Citadel. And again, how brave it was. I know I already said it, but it just reminded me of Harry Potter sneaking into the restricted section, you know, and look, and looking <laughs> through all the books at, at the Hogwarts at the Hogwarts library. It just it just made me laugh. <laughs> and 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 so I had the thought, you know, Sam leaves the Citadel, obviously never becomes a maester, and so you know, once the events of whatever we're going to call this next war, you know, you know, the war for the living or whatever, once it's all done, and you know, it's probably easier to leave the Night's Watch than it is to leave, uh, you know, than stop being a maester. So, you know, whoever ends up on the Iron Throne or whoever's in charge, you know, he can leave the Night's Watch since he already left and he can go back to Horn Hill with Gilly and he can be the Lord and he can be the Lord of Horn Hill. No, he is the Lord of Horn Hill now. Well, he is, except that he's, you know, he took the oath, and so he needs, you know, a uh, a royal pardon or whatever to leave the watch. But I, I just, it had me thinking that it's probably easier to leave the watch than it is to stop being a maester. And so maybe that was part of it, you know, him leaving. I mean, he left for his his reasons, which we discussed. But that's like another another reason. Yeah, I mean, his best friend is the king in the north, so his best friend can get him back to Horn Hill, no problem. Yeah, and. The upcoming war is called the Great War. Is that what it's called? Yes, that's what uh, John says it over and over and over again. Okay. Apparently I missed it. Okay, so that was your number one. Yeah, that's pretty much everything. Okay. Uh, my number one was the formation of the East Watch 7. Oh, so good. Yeah, so good. Oh, my gosh. Um, I think the best part about this group of seven men, and so... So for those of you who may be wondering, like trying to remember one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, we have Beric Dondarrion, Thoros of Myr, uh, Sandor Clegane, Jorah Mormont, Gendry of Fleabottom, Fleabottom, <laughs> uh, Tormund Giantsbane, and Jon Snow. The busted. The busted. Plus other red shirts that carry their gear. So let's talk about this for a second. So... Jon Snow is going to lead them out there to go on the expedition to get the white and come back. Jorah started this, Mm -hmm. which is interesting because Jon is just kind of the de facto leader, but Jorah is the one that got this train moving. Jorah volunteered. He said, I'll do it, not even knowing how or what to do. Mm -hmm. And I love it that, that Gendry wanted to, you know, come along just... He didn't even care where they were going. He's like, hey, you know, this sounds like this is somewhere where we need to be. And I want to be wherever, you know, wherever the action is. And then they get to Eastwatch. And to my, <laughs> in my opinion, John is looking up at the wall like, why am I back here? <laughs> I didn't think I'd ever be back here. I mean, he just looked at that wall like he just like, like he wanted to chop it down himself. Right. It was it was a very interesting expression on his face. It was a very interesting expression on his face, like, oh, we're back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, 
Tormund saying, Tormund asking about whether or not the big woman was there was a nice little <laughs> moment for sure. And Tormund's uh, straight talking about how when Davos says he's not much of a fighter, Tormund says, no, you're not. Yeah, he called him. He agreed that Davos would be a liability. Um, I did like it that Beric, when they went down there, when, when they went down to the prison or the cells, cells to get the three of them, Beric, uh, Thoros, and the Hound, everybody's squabbling. You know, there's like a lot of people that kind of hate each other in different ways. And mm-hmm. and I love it that Beric stands up and he's like, you know, oh, well, the Lord of Light is not re- is not done with us yet and blah, blah, blah. And he's trying to give like one of his like weird Beric <laughs> Lord of Light speeches. And John is the one that said, listen, man, we're all on the same side. We're all breathing. That's it. That's all we need to know. And what's funny is that this group of guys was kind of like settled down and formed up by two undead men. Yeah, and I will forgive uh, Beric Dondarrion's passion for the Lord of Light, considering he's been resurrected like six or seven times. I mean, yeah, true believer, sure. I know, John has been resurrected by the Lord of Light, and he's like, fuck that guy. (laughs) (laughs) It's, you know, hey, Beric Dondarrion is like a true believer. He's like... We're here because the Lord of Light and then uh, Sander Kilgain is like, ah, shut the fuck up. Are we coming with you or not? I love Sam. I love the Hound. I love him so, so much, even though he kind of messes up real big time next week. You know, I, I really wanted to do the next week's episode, but it's okay that Anwin gets to take my place because I don't want to talk about the thing that happens at the end. Yeah. But there's a lot of good, uh, you know, camaraderie, chit chat and, you know, all that stuff that happens, you mm-hmm. know, along the way to where they... Anyway, we're getting ahead to the next episode. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that we're, we're kind of going into it, though. You know, yeah. um, when the when the wall opens up, it was a pretty big callback to the very opening shot of the entire series, mm-hmm. I think. And it was almost kind of like that gate opening up is really kind of the beginning of the war. This is how they are going to form up the last of the people in Westeros to fight against this army of the dead. Yeah, they're this going, is their big Hail Mary. Yeah, they're they're going out to uh to land the first strike. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, Hard Home is kind of where they they saw the magnitude of what they were dealing with and ever since then John has been trying to fortify what he needs to get done. You know, he's he's manned the wildlings at the wall. He's rallied the north he's he now has an ally in daenerys targaryen kind of at this point quasi ally yeah um but he knows that to solidify everybody he's got to prove it Mm -hmm. and i just as the story begins in season one episode one of winter is coming you get that iconic shot of the wall gates opening and we get it here again. And it just seems to me like the showrunners were really trying to make a point like, okay, here we go. It's been such a long time since I've seen the first episode. I'd completely forgotten that. But that's an excellent point. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, I do have a runner up if you don't have anything else. No, go ahead. So I noticed a really kind of cool theme of this of this episode, and that was the theme of smuggling. <laughs> okay. We did talk a bit about smuggling. 
We did. And so what I thought was interesting was that Davos smuggles Tyrion into King's Landing. He smuggles Gendry out of King's Landing. Then he tries to smuggle Gendry into Dragonstone without anybody knowing that he was Robert Baratheon's son. We have the Eastwatch 7 on their expedition to smuggle a white out of uh, beyond the wall and into Westeros. Um, we have the scroll that's being smuggled by Arya into Littlefinger's room, which we could talk about in notes in just a second because that was a really big, big deal. Um, and then we have Sam smuggling all of the books and him and his family out of Oldstown in the Citadel. Yeah, uh, a lot of sneaking around. Well, I just noticed that there was just a lot of smuggling happening, and I, and I thought that it was worth noting. What about you? Do you have any notes? No, other than we haven't talked about Winterfell at all. Let's do it. I think it's already been brought up, but Arya definitely knows that Littlefinger's trying to play a game because she could be invisible if she wanted to. And I I believe, I think you and Archmaster Rennie mentioned it last week, how when the three Stark children were at the weirwood tree, that's when they hatched their plan, you know, that we don't see because we can't see, we can't see all things on the show, but I am a believer that they hatched their plan there to expose Littlefinger, whether Bran knew already or had to look up, you know, to find out what happened. I think Bran told them and they hatched this plot to kind of trick him, get him at his own game so that he would lower his defenses and expose himself. Yeah, I completely agree with this, especially since we have watched Arya train for every single season so far on how to be no one, on how to be invisible. And she's very, very much in plain sight in this episode, almost to the point where the casual observer or the casual casual watcher would think, you know, what happened to her? Did did she forget everything? It, ha- has she forgotten about her training? Yeah, ever since, uh, you know, she wore Walder Frey's face, you know, she hasn't been that sneaky anymore. Right, exactly. And so I, I think that we're, we're being led into this false, um, this false doubt about Arya. And of course, we do find out that it was a false, that, that it was all a trail. It was all a setup. And I think that it also goes back to Brienne and Arya when they're when they're having their training session. When um, Brienne kind of lays out that whole scene with, uh, "Don't go where your enemy leads you." Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And what's wonderful is that Littlefinger thinks that he's leaving all of these brilliant breadcrumbs um, <laughs> <laughs> to drive that wedge in between the two sisters. When really, um, Arya and Sansa and even Bran, to a certain extent, are gearing up to get the demise of Littlefinger going. To hasten his departure. Yeah, okay. Although, I i don't remember exactly, but during our first watch of this season, I remember there was some, we had some trepidation, like, no, they can't really be, is this a, is this a trick, or does Arya really mm-hmm. not think her? And I, yeah. I remember we were like, oh, Arya's gonna kill Sansa, and then... We weren't really sure, and then we were very reassured. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I I don't think I ever fully believed that it was really going down with Littlefinger continuing to win by the end of this. I agree. It was the same kind of disbelief that I had where I was like, no, they're not going to behead Ned Stark. 
Uh, well, okay, yeah. <laughs> the, the same kind of disbelief, like, there's no way they're going to, oh, that's his head. I still, I still, I, you know what? That's still the biggest shock of all. It's such a game changer. Yeah. I mean, everything else that followed after that, you, you're kind of like, yeah, that's the show. Like, we're going into season eight going, everybody's going to die. They wah, killed the wah. main character. Yeah, hmm. exactly. But that Poor first, Sean Bean, yeah. That first, that first season, man. What a shock. Well, not even the season. It was, you know, when we read the book. Um, do you have any other notes? No, that's all I have. Okay, well, I still have notes. <laughs> you may proceed. Let's talk about Cersei. Do you think that she's pregnant? She's pulling out the Hail Mary, the classic fake pregnancy. Oh, I can't I can't lose him. I better fake a pregnancy. Or do you think it's the prophecy? Did the prophecy mention a fourth child? Well, would this child technically be her little brother? Her brother or the little brother? Mm-hmm. Well, because the prophecy is the uh, the the Valonqur or yeah. the Valonqur, yeah, little brother, like yeah. the youngest one. Correct. It could be. I mean, I don't want, I don't want her to have death by childbirth. I'd like for her to have death by Arya. The only way death by childbirth is on the table for me is if a white plunges out of her womb, you know, and kills her that way. Ooh, that'd be nice. Yeah. I like that. Are, are, are you listening? George R. R. Martin, just make it happen. I want her to die. The And I've wanted this. I've wanted this for, I, I don't know, you can tell me because I think I've been talking <laughs> about this forever. But the perfect death for me for Cersei is for Jamie to kill Cersei, and in the last minutes, the last seconds of her dying, Jamie pulls off his face, and it's Arya. Would Cersei recognize her? Oh, who cares? She'll give her, I'm Arya Stark, I want you to know that speech that she gave to uh, yeah. Walder Frey. Mm-hmm. So whatever, I don't care how she does it. I just <laughs> want it to be Arya through Jamie, and I want it to happen that way. And if it means that Jamie has to die for it to happen, so be it. I've never wanted a character to die as much as, nope, that's not true, Ramsey. But <laughs> I got to tell you, it's like a dead heat. So close. Yeah, she's the worst, the worst. So you, so you do, you think that she's definitely faking it. Definitely, probably, it's possible. Definitely, maybe. Definitely, maybe. We do have uh, Wendy Eppers. She does have a little piece of feedback at the at the end during feedback where okay. she's, you know, well, she's been Team Cersei for <laughs> seven seasons now. Still like, no, I don't like her. I just really admire her. No, I think she actually like legit loves Cersei. Somebody needs a uh, psych evaluation. Hey, man, that's Wendy Eppers you're talking about. <laughs> She's amazing. <laughs> but yes, that is a crazy idea. <laughs> pick, pick, pick another show and go with the villain. Like, oh, yeah, this is my favorite character. Yeah, a lot of people feel that way about Negan in The Walking Dead. Well, those people are, well, we have our own thoughts about that. Yeah, we do. This is not that podcast. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, I have one more thing, and that is the fact that we see Varys is so stressed out about what's happening right now. <laughs> We see him drinking. I forgot about that scene where he's tapping the scroll, the message. He's like, tick, 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 tick. But we haven't seen him drink yet. We haven't seen him anything but just chilling at like a resting heart rate of 46. With like just, yeah, because he's always seems to be seeing like seeing 
a couple moves ahead. And here, I mean, he looks visibly... He's agitated. Yes, agitated. That's a perfect word. He just—he doesn't look good. <laughs> you don't look good. You don't look good, Joe. Yeah, so I just, I thought it was just so great when he finally, when he takes the wine and he takes a sip. Makes and that he face. just grimaces, but he, then he chugs the rest of the glass. That's one of those uh, TV tropes, you know, where the character like takes a hit drink and it's like that whiskey face, like yeah. the whiskey face. Like that's what they did. I know. Which I liked. But what a... What a great moment to do it, you know, because I, I can see how Varys is, is upset because he he's under the impression that Daenerys is something different than Ares. And he just learns that she used Drogon to kill to kill off the, the house Tarly. So, I mean, even even as he's he's staring off in a space, he's like, you know, it's not like. She's not like, you know, the king. That's what I kept saying is that, mm-hmm. it, like, he kept, he, what, I, I, I wish I had it written down, but he kept, he kept talking about how he continued to justify the Mad King's actions even to the very end. And I think his point was that he didn't want to be put in that exact same position. And he sided with House Targaryen because he thought that Daenerys was something different, that she stood for something different. And I think that this is the first time that we really see Varys doubting himself and doubting his decisions to Mm -hmm. the point of drinking. And it surprises Tyrion. I just liked when Tyrion asked uh, what was in the scroll. Nothing good. Well, he says, this is a sealed message to the king of the north. What's it say? Nothing good. It was awesome. <laughs> I love it when those two are together. It's really wonderful. Yeah, uh, old old comedy team. <laughs> well, that is definitely all that I have. Alrighty. So we're gonna take a little break, and we will be back with our dragon's breath. Stay with us. Guess who just got back today? The wild-eyed boys that had been away haven't changed, had much to say. But man, I still think them cats are crazy They were asking if you were around How you was, where you could be found Told them you were living downtown Driving all the old men crazy back with our dragon's breath we only got one submission for worst ending and he happens to be my co-host this week so we're just going to move on right to our dragon's breath from instagram i put up a picture of and a question about john and drogon meeting and rocker chick 213 says full body chills amazing that is all from Facebook, Alicia Stout said, The only time I felt even an ounce of remorse for Randall Tarley was this episode right before he was burnt to a crisp by Drogon along with his only son, Dickon. There's no way he would have ever followed Danny. Shoot, he couldn't even sit at the dinner table with a wildling. Is this the quietest time we've ever heard Danny say Dracarys? I guess there was no need to scream it since she wasn't flying. Love the moment when Gendry and John met for the first time. They had a very similar exchange to Robert and Ned in the pilot episode. You're old. You got fat. Well, I think, and and you mentioned that uh, this was 
you you mentioned the same thing that Alicia said about uh, how quietly mm-hmm. Daenerys said Dracar is. Yeah, she just kind of normal spoke it. Yeah, and I guess I just assumed that they just have that weird connection between the two of them, like a dire wolf and a Stark. So Maybe. it's possible. Yeah. Rima Joe, hello, Rima, says, loved this episode. Just some top unorganized thoughts because no time. <laughs> Having John Gendry, Tormund, Jorah Mormont, the Hound, Beric Dondarrion, and Thoros in one room was explosive. And I remember during my first rot watch, my brain synapses were firing so fast I couldn't keep up. So many people in a space that had reasons to be angry with each other, and then the realization that none of that matters, and that they're all there for a bigger reason. So awesome. John and Drogon, I almost wet myself every time. That beautiful creature knows what's up. Jessica Oldham Jones, moral question in war. Was Danny justified killing House Tarly after they didn't choose her as queen? Tyrion and Varys discuss her decision, and Varys even reminisced slash compared the Mad King burning people alive. Varys coped by saying, I'm not the one doing it. They think she should have done different. But here's the thing. Danny's at war against someone far more evil in Cersei. Just one example, the Sept of Baelor killing hundreds of innocents. And the Tarleys were soldiers knowing their side. Tyrion continues to question her decision in the next episode. I get that she needs to be different than Cersei. Not more of the same, says John. But Danny seems to be asked to hold a standard that may not be successful in war, taking prisoners instead of asserting her power. I don't like killing Tarleys, but they knew what they were doing and given a choice. Danny was doing what all good leaders slash managers do, which is following through. I know that if I don't follow through on what I say I'm going to do with my staff and kids, especially, oof, I get run over and shit doesn't get done. Preach. <laughs> that is true. Avelino Roshino says... Hammer time. <laughs> Laura Willie Swink. That moment when Gilly blew all of our minds and Sam mistook steps for shits. Gif of Alaria saying screaming at Oberyn's death. Yeah, that's exactly what it looked like. It was awesome. I loved it. Wendy Ott Eppers. Hi, Wendy. Says, can we fight about Cersei being pregnant? I absolutely believe that she is. Jamie in this scene is so heartbreakingly tragic. He's like a battered spouse. He just keeps going back, going back. That's what I said. It. I think this is really just the deepest we see Jamie. What's nice is that we're going to see him pull out of this very soon. Mm-hmm. But he is just so far gone when it comes to, to, to Cersei. It, it's almost hard to watch. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, we have one other piece of feedback. Uh, this is from Tammy Clay. Hi, Tammy. Uh, Tammy says, Hello, I'm still thinking about the Queen's Justice and Olena Tyrell, my all-time favorite. Thinking about how she and Jamie were just a couple of Kingslayers having a chat, I realized that with the exception of Stannis, all of the Kingslayers are King Kingslayers. All of the Kingslayers in Westeros come into contact with the original Kingslayer, Jamie, at some point in the show. Hmm. He is taken by the Boltons while on the way to King's Landing with Brienne and has a chat or two with Roose Bolton, clearly striking a deal with the man who would later slay King Rob Stark. He has an encounter with Walder Frey, who, which is why I put Kingslayer in quotation marks in as well. 
He claims to be a Kingslayer, but though he didn't actually slay King Rob, but watched it being done. He has a number of encounters and goes on a journey with back to King's Landing with Brienne of Tarth, who later slays King Stannis Baratheon, another Kingslayer. He has many encounters with Lady Elena Tyrell, who played a part in slaying King Joffrey. He has a couple of unpleasant encounters for him, for the viewers, they were rather entertaining, with Euron Greyjoy, who slayed his own brother, King Balon Greyjoy. He also has an encounter or two with Jon Snow, who I suppose didn't slay Mance Raider, the king behind the wall, but he did kill him out of mercy. And then, although Jamie hasn't had any direct encounters with Stannis, who in a way kings, kills his brother, King Renly Baratheon, on the actual show, I'm positive he would have at some point before the story begins, considering he was a member of King Robert's small council and Jamie was a member of the King's Guard, not to mention they were family by marriage. Not that any of that means anything to the story, I just found it a bit interesting. That is fascinating. Right? And he definitely met Tommen, who slayed himself, so check. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I, <laughs> I like what you did there. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I got this, um, yeah, I got this last week, and I loved it so much. I asked her if I could share this on the podcast, even though we did the episode a couple weeks ago, because I just thought that it was really insightful, and I loved it. Super insightful, really well done. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I just love it when we get little bits like that because it makes me think a little more about kind mm -hmm. of like the broad scope of of e even the smaller the smaller stories and and, and the little nuances. It, it shows how flushed out the the story really is. I love when people bring up stuff that we've never even thought of because we think about Game of Thrones a lot. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> it's 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 getting to be pathetic. Meh. You should see The Office. <laughs> we have one email from Lindsay Schlitt. Has Game of Thrones just made me brutal, or was Tyrion kind of annoying in this first scene? Danny was respectful to the Tarleys and gave them ample chance to spare their own lives. I can see that she had little other choice at this point. She's right. Be too easy and no one will take her seriously, although Tyrion does later defend her choice to varies, I suppose. Drogon meeting John. Call Drogo has my heart always, but man, this scene almost made me want a divorce. <laughs> Nothing hotter than a man being sweet to an animal, even a fearsome dragon. The scene with Sam and Gilly is hilarious. Sam's facial expressions when explaining annulment are great. I'm a bit confused as to why Sam seemed to miss the fact that Rhaegar had an annulment that no one in the kingdom had ever heard of. Shouldn't it? Shouldn't that have made more of an impression on him? Also, do you think Archmaester Ebros knows that information Sam will need is in these scrolls, and that is why he has assigned him such a seemingly mundane task to Sam? Can you help me understand this final scene with Arya and Littlefinger? Does Littlefinger know Arya is there and is setting her up? Does Arya want him to know she's there? I've heard so many theories on these scenes. This was one part of season seven that irritated me. All of this stuff with Sansa, Arya, and Littlefinger, and I'd like to, and I'd like to understand it better. Don't think I'm emotionally prepared for the next episode. Yeah, I hope that we kind of broke that down a little bit for you, Lindsay. But I agree that it was irritating as a first-time watcher to see that, only because it almost seemed like a little soap opery. 
you know, it was just kind of like, you know, oh, there's, you know, lack of communication. If everybody just got together and talked to each other, they would just know the truth. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think that this was more of misdirection for the audience than it was for anything else. And I, I thought that they pulled it off really, really well. I would agree. So we have two voicemails this week. The first voicemail we have is from Archmaester Rennie. Greetings, Kristen and Anwen. In this episode, everybody is gathering their forces and their strengths um, and exercising their talents. Uh, Gendry with his warhammer, Jorah being the good soldier, Davos using his smuggling skills, Sansa her diplomatic skills. And among all of those, we have Sam the Reader whose stolen books are more important than Gendry's Warhammer. Um, although, to be fair, it is Gilly who discovers the evidence of John's legitimacy. But I think it's really interesting that uh, George R. R. Martin makes the figure of the reader, Sam, heroic here, um, because the story is written by someone who is a book lover, and many of the fans of the show, as well as the books, are book lovers. So giving Sam his heroism through his love of books and his reading, uh, I think is just really cool. So I love the scene where he broke into the forbidden section of the library, took the important books, and marched off with them to do battle with the mystery of the others through research yeah it, it it's his uh his sword his sword is his mind and his books yep reading and research what did what did Tyrion say the mind cannot live without books it is it's like a uh the sword cannot a sword to the whetstone is like a mind with the books or something. He said that in yeah. uh, uh, season one, episode two to Jon Snow. Yeah, when they were camping out on on the way to the wall. Mm-hmm, the King's Road. Yeah. That he, King's Road episode, man, that, that episode I think is one of the more important episodes of the entire series. Yeah, and it has that great uh, quote where he says, you know, like I have to exercise my mind because it's all I have, essentially. Right, That's that, yeah. exactly. That was what I was talking about. He, but Because I remember he talks about Books in the mind and then a sword and a whetstone. Yep. Keeping everything sharp. Uh, thank you, Archmaester Rennie. I always, thank you for the voicemail. I always love hearing your voice. So, And our next voicemail is from our first-time watcher, Steve Brown. Hello, Kristen and guest host. This is Steve, and I just got done watching East Watch, and uh, thought it was cool that they added East Watch and Old Town uh, to the credits, so I knew we were going to get a chance to see uh, Sam again. Like the quote, uh, there are no easy choices in war when uh, Daenerys is, is giving them the choice to bend the knee or to die. And uh, just a quick thought for me, and I don't know if anybody else has mentioned this or not, but Dickon, really? I mean, who names your kid Dickon? I, I mean, how far back does a family name have to go to where you're going to give your kid the name Dickon. Just a thought. Um, notice that Tyrion was not wearing the hand pin when he went to go see Jamie, And then um, I, I laughed out loud 
literally when uh, Gendry killed the two gold cloaks and uh, and Davos said, this is Gendry, and Tyrion said, he'll do. <laughs> I loved it. And uh, that ending of, you know, this episode is named East Watch, and we don't get to East Watch until the very end, and the last thing we see is them walking into the white. So I'm, uh, I think I'm going to go straight into Beyond the Wall and probably just finish out Season 7 here. But I'm going to send in my first initial thoughts each time. Uh, talk to you later. Yay! Yeah, I know that he finished it already. <laughs> yeah, Steve, thanks for the thanks for the voicemail, and I'm looking forward to you guest hosting on the podcast yeah i'm really excited about it i hope that he is too i think he is it's gonna be really fun um he i just feel like he's been such a great part of the podcast yeah i mean he's always chiming in with the voicemails and whatnot yeah totally not to mention that for a first time watcher he has some really really great insight agreed so yeah um I can't believe that you just went in and, and watched Beyond the Wall that quickly. I, I could see why. I mean, it's an amazing episode. The fact that we had to wait a week sucked. We wanted to watch it tonight, but we ran out of time. Yeah, no, that wasn't gonna happen. Not I'm not I'm not I'm not hydrated enough for that. Okay, so that's our show. Thank you for joining us. Dave, thank you so much for coming in and, and um, filling in and just being on the show for the last part of our rewatch. I really appreciate it. It's always fun to sit and nerd out about Game of Thrones while recording. Of course. Uh, my pleasure, and thank you for having me anytime. Yeah. Uh, next episode that we're going to cover is going to be season seven, episode six. I can't believe how close we are. Beyond the Wall. Uh, joining me for that episode is actually going to be Anwin. It's scheduled. We've got it down. We are, like I said at the top of the podcast, we are going to be uh, recording a little early this time. So um, I think that you'll probably be hearing this episode either Wednesday or Thursday. So if you want to get in some feedback, just make sure that you get it in by the weekend and we will read it out on air. Huge episode beyond the wall. Lot. Well, one huge, massive event that pretty much overshadows the rest of it, I'd say. Yeah. So uh, we're still looking for your worst ending submissions. So I think they're great. I've had a lot of fun with them. <laughs> I really enjoyed a lot of them, especially Jason's. I thought it was good. I know. Jason doesn't like a happy ending. Clearly not. Uh, so if you'd like to leave feedback, you can do so in all these ways. If you'd like to write in or record a message and send it in, you can email us at dragons at podcastica.com. We also have our webpage where you can submit feedback as well, housepodcastica.com. You can check out our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash housepodcastica. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at housepodcastica. And be sure to check out the other great podcasts at podcastica.com. Let's see, Walking Dead cast is going to be wrapping up next week. Um, this past week. If you're not caught up in Walking Dead, you've got to get caught up. It is so good right now. You have got to catch up. 
Yeah. I, I, I really I can't believe how good it is right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Strange Indeed is about to record their second episode of the first season of Umbrella Academy. Uh, I've actually started watching that show, and it is interesting. I'm sure that Rima and Sean are are doing an excellent job. I still need to catch up on that podcast. I used to listen to a lot of podcasts when we drove around as much as we did. And since I haven't been driving around, it, I always have to remind myself, Kristen, you can listen to a podcast while you fold laundry. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> and then, of course, I have my other podcast, uh, Lost Revisited. We have to go back with my friend Ben Beck from the Next Level Network. Uh, and we are in season two. We're having a good time with that. Special thanks to Break of Reality for our new intro music. If you want to check them out, you can do so on YouTube or on their website, breakofreality.com. Thanks to Kirk Manley for our podcast art and Ben Beck for website design. Kirk's work can be checked out on his website, studiokm.com. Ben Beck can be found at thenextlevelnetwork.com. Cersei. The Mountain. The Night King. Euron Greyjoy. Melisandre. Braun of the Blackwater. Nathan Morrow.